Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic life podcast the mosaic life podcast is a podcast on happiness and it aims to explore why so many of us chase it and yet so few of us are successful in finding it my name is trey kaufman if you find value in this particular episode of the mosaic life podcast or you've found a value in the podcast in the past you can show your support by visiting the Mosaic Life Podcast.com and signing up for the Mosaic Life Podcast Circle newsletter. And if you do so during the month of August, you will be entered to win a life changing book recommended by one of my previous guests. As a member of the Mosaic Life Circle newsletter, you'll receive the occasional email from me announcing brand new episodes as well as some additional content in the future. Again, you can sign up at themosaiclifepodcast.com and you have until the end of August to win. Have you ever read a book at just the right time or were inspired by a painting in a moment of want for inspiration? or had a conversation you didn't realize you needed to have. I feel like I can and should wrap those questions into how the conversation you're about to hear made me feel. I was nervous going into my conversation with Tonya. I'm nervous going into every conversation, but for this one, I was especially nervous because the art forms of her father and herself, painting and dance, respectively, I know relatively little about. What brought me immense joy, however, was how masterfully Tonya was able to build a conversation around creativity and inspiration, pulling from the work she's done researching her father's career, as well as through her long and storied career as a choreographer. This was a conversation I felt I needed to have and subsequently listen to because it's terribly difficult sometimes a lot of times to find the inspiration and creativity to create something new week after week, especially when you feel or when I feel as if I owe it to myself. The joy in Tonya's voice when discussing art was so tangible in our discussion that I could I could feel it spanning the length of the country as it made its way to me from her home in California. Dancer, choreographer, teacher, and award-winning dance filmmaker Tonya Shimon has had an extensive career in modern dance. Currently, she is Professor Emerita of the Department of Theater and Dance at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and continues her creative work in the USA and abroad. Most recently, she has curated, edited, and with Mercury Press International, published the award-winning book, The Art of Simeon Shimon 
on the remarkable work of her father, whose fine art is here shown in a collection for the first time. Whether you're a creative or one who aspires to be, I truly believe you'll find the same joy in this conversation that I did. And please be sure to give a glance at the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com as Tonya lists a bunch of great resources throughout this episode. Please welcome my new friend, the ever-so-inspiring Tonya Shimon. Tonya, how are you? It's great to connect with you again. I'm so excited that we get to have a chat today. Uh, so am I. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. Absolutely. Now, just to, to be fully transparent, I know we had some tech issues, but uh, sometimes it makes our conversation so much sweeter. So I'm just I'm glad that we were <laughs> able to connect and and uh, actually have this conversation because I, when we first chatted, it was such a joy getting to know you a little bit. And I mean, full disclosure right off the bat, I, I as I mentioned before, I don't know a ton about art, but I'm always excited to learn. So I'm coming to this conversation from a point of curiosity and wonderment and i'm just excited to learn about your work your father's work and just have a great conversation around uh creativity and uh, the art form in general thank thank you and i think that's that's wonderful uh and your enthusiasm is fantastic my father would have loved it well good good he loved well, meeting all kinds of people and sharing whatever he could with them so in his in his memory here we go yes that's so fantastic and i i, I know you had sent <clears throat> me uh the pdf uh, copy of 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 your book and I, I was able to uh skim through some of the writing and i i obviously looked at all of the the beautiful painting and i it was uh and I believe this word was even used in um, a sentence on your website. The first word that come, came to my mind when I was looking at th- through some of the artwork was, was haunting. And mm. uh, it, it, it felt it felt very, I don't know, I, again, I'm not an art uh, critic by any means, but just some of the imagery that uh, he was able to put on, on canvas, it was just you look at it and it just moves you. And that, that, that really, it felt, it felt surreal to me. And I loved seeing that. This is so great because this means that the work lives and no matter how old it is, it can speak to people and touch them. And the word haunting is so great because it's so deep. There's so many layers of what haunting could be. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, did, was that, I now I know, that your father started painting at a very young age, especially after being told that he was never going to, to be able to do so. And so, I mean, he he really instilled being able to paint like an adult. I mean, is that, I don't know, what what was his, do you know what his process was like? I mean, did he go out and say, hey, I, this is this is exactly how the style I want to paint or is it, is it something that came to him? I, it came to him very naturally. Uh, actually, as a child, uh, when he started to draw, you mentioned that he he actually started to draw like an adult. Yeah. Um, and um, I think what I'd like to do is read something about his work, which and then go into your your point of how Please. he did it. Perfect. Um, uh, one of this wonderful uh, research assistant wrote this: Simeon Shimon was a vessel for the unheard voices of his time. Those who were shunned, he highlighted. Those who were unseen, he provided a stage. He saw the common man for what he was, beautiful, exceptional, and equal. And in his childhood, he saw many things in Russia where there was a lot of inequality and torment and tragedy, and these faces never left him. I can read you another excerpt later. Yeah. Um, but he, he simply related to people and found their faces haunting. 
and that's where he lived. He didn't follow through with the contemporaries of his time who were discovering all kinds of incredibly wonderful abstractions, abstractionism and other means. But he felt his place was to stick to what he what meant so much to him. Um, and, and I could read you this other excerpt which sets this off, yes. which is a writing by my father about his life. Um, he was born in Astrakhan, Russia. He saw many things there before the age of 10 coming to America, but he wrote this after coming to America. Um, and I, I think it would be worthwhile just quoting this. Yeah. Um, I do not know by what mystery or alchemy I was transformed into becoming an artist, a painter, when up to the age of 11 years, I wanted above all else to be a musician. However, when I was told in no uncertain terms that I would not be allowed to be one, Within a week, I began to draw for the first time in my life, and to this day, I have never stopped drawing or painting. What makes this event even more strange is the fact that from the very beginning, I drew as an adult and not as a child. It was people that I wanted to paint then and now. I was deeply affected not only by our own poverty, but by the teeming life around me as well. People's haunting faces and their dignity never left me. That's beautiful. I love so, that. And, and this yeah. is in the book, and uh, it, it addresses your question of how, how did he do it? How did he come to be painting these faces? Yeah, absolutely. And what I really am realizing I love about certain forms of art, uh, writing in particular, and I think probably uh, painting and drawing, is that no matter what context you're in, in in regard to time, whether it was 100 years ago or or now, the meaning, I don't think it's lost in, in that time. I mean, when it comes to music, you can tell certain area, eras uh, from, uh, from which the music stems. But I, I, I really love that when you look at his paintings, I mean, you can see the relevance today. And I, I think you used three adjectives, and I, I might have gotten one wrong, but beautiful, acceptable, and equal. Mm -hmm. Obviously, things that we're dealing with mm -hmm. now. And right. I, yeah. I can't, it's, it's amazing how relevant that still is. This is why I feel so positive about doing this book at this time. Yeah. Because it took me 30 years to pull it to, to pull it off. But right now, it's, it's even more pertinent than ever. Yes. How, what have your experiences been pulling this together over the last 30 years for, for context, I'm, I'm 35. So I, I mean, I was, I was born in, and I, I don't, I don't say that to, um, I'm 35. It's, I, I, you know, I, you started bringing this together when I, you know, was an yeah, infant. Yeah. So I love it. I, it's great. It's great. I, as, as an adult, I, I've, I've seen a fair amount. And when I really started paying attention, it was probably 9-11 when I was in high school and, you know, all the, the tragedy that we've been through, but all mm -hmm. the great things we've done as a species since then, but with the Great Recession and then, you know, obviously everything that's happened in the last two years from COVID to the racial injustice. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing the, the, the relevance uh, that we, we, we still have from from all of his work. And I, I don't know, I, I guess the question being, you know, as you've worked on this, how have you seen that relevance conveyed in your everyday, in our everyday lives? Well, it, it happened gradually. At first, it was to save the paintings when yeah. I first found lots of photographs after he died. 
And it wasn't so much, oh, yes, these are going to be important today. But then when I started looking at the paintings, and especially the one of the pack, which is has a story behind it, as most things do, uh, which I'll tell in a moment, um, it just seems that it's absolutely today. Uh, at one point, my father was um, visiting friends on New Year's Eve and left and found on the street a man being beaten up by a group, a pack, and he and his friends went in to help him, and they were in turn beaten up. Yeah. Uh, and then he, he felt he had to do something with this in his art, uh, and he, he made this painting, The Pack, which represents humans as beasts. Yes. Um, and this, this horror of what humanity can do to humanity. And I have this painting in my living room, um, and I went, my God, this is exactly what's going on all over the world. Um, and this is quite a statement to have today. And I think art heightens the feelings and what, what we can think of and do about these things. So I feel that that was just there in the work for me to find and for us to see. Yeah, absolutely. I... I... I feel like I'm going to ask an, an ignorant question, but I, it, it's coming from a place There's of There's no such thing. <laughs> well, good, good. I'm just, you know, obviously art does wonders for the world, but I, we, I think a lot of times we can become inspired through uh, the the bad things in life. And so I, 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 I don't know, I, I, it's just, it's a, it's a which comes first, the chicken or the egg situation. And as an artist yourself, you being raised by an artist, I mean, was your father often inspired by the tragedies he saw around him or the beauty, or is it kind of a mix of the two? Definitely a mix of the two. He saw great beauty in humanity and in children. And um, his life in Russia was very rich. Um, he played with children. He created... Yeah dramas, they made their own costumes, they created all kinds of epic stories together, and he had a childhood. When his family came to America and he was 10, his father became very frightened, and he seems to have felt that he had to kind of take over as the head of the household, and he kind of lost his childhood. And later in his life, he came to do children's books, and yeah. I think it gave him a very special place for these feelings of being a child and going back to childhood and what it meant. And then with me as his daughter and then my sister, he had, again, this huge relationship with the child. Yeah. Um, so this gave him a great deal. Uh, but again, he was coming from life experience and the faces that he spoke about that haunted him before were still there. He lived through two world wars. Um, he saw terrible discrimination. It, it couldn't help him as a person from, from touching him right. and coming out in his work. So on the one hand, he depicted these, the sadness and the difficulty, but he also depicted the great beauty in people. And he had a great feeling for African-Americans and their inner beauty. And yes. that comes out in his work a great deal. And I think that, of course, is very appropriate for today as well. Yeah. In yes, uh, absolutely. he he did um, he got a very special mural a commission by uh, um, a, a a competition to do a mural in the Department of Justice building. 
that's still there today. And in this painting, he depicts the only rendition of the African-American in cultured, educated roles on the positive side of what can happen when things are good. And he was asked by officials not to put the African-Americans in there, and he did it anyway. It's also the only depiction of an African-American in the whole building other than as a servant in one other painting. Yeah. So again, that addresses your, your point of what made him do it? Why did he do it? How, how did he come to do it? He just felt he had to. Yes. Yeah. That's, um, I, 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 that seems to be a very prominent theme for artists is that you're, you're called to create. And I, I, that's, I don't know. I, I, that's, I guess that's empowering. And it also feels, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, as, as a creator, whether or not you're a podcaster or a writer and author, I mean, when you feel compelled to share your message, when you feel compelled to create something for the sake of others, as opposed to doing it for the sake of yourself, I think that just makes, that makes your mission all that more altruistic. Um, yes. I really, really love that. Yes. Um, you, you mentioned children's books and I did want to bring this up because uh, he had illustrated uh, Dance in the Desert, which I've never read, but uh, however, it was written by Madeline, Madeline El Engel, who wrote yeah. A Wrinkle in Time, which was my favorite book growing oh, up. Oh, wonderful, so, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to, to pick up uh, the book Dance in the Desert at some point so I, I can see it and read it. But I mean, what was, how did that come about? I mean, how much work did he do with children's uh, literature? Well, at a certain point, he had done paintings for Hollywood oh, wow. uh, for many years. The story goes back there, so I'll, I'll go back a little. Yeah. Um, he did the original Gone with the Wind poster. He was making huge movie posters, 40 foot one for Solomon and Sheba, which turned up in a gallery in New Jersey a few years ago. Um, I didn't know it still existed. Um, And at a time when Hollywood was going down and television was taking over, there was no work. And friends asked him to do one of their books, How Big is Big? And he said, well, you know, my art is more serious than that. Children's books are so light. And they said, no, what you do with feeling is exactly what we want. So the whole thing started. And then he was sent um, scripts to read. And he would, along with the publishers who would be in touch with him, he would choose the ones that he felt he could relate to the most. And of course, Madeline Lengels was one of those. That's uh, and then, then he would work very closely, I believe, with the author and the publisher and uh, very carefully lay out his drawings um, for the book. Wow. Uh, he was pretty much working constantly for 30 years on one book or another. And his paintings were having to come in between time. It was constant yeah. fight for him. Um, I would be walking down the street holding his hand as a child and later as an adult, and he would say, I've got to get back to my painting. Got to get back to my painting. So you're absolutely right. There's this constant pull and calling to do the work. Yeah. Um, what was but, what was that like as a child into adulthood as he was pulled to to work? I mean, uh, how was that did that did that rub off on you or was it 
did it breed a little bit of resentment that you were unable to spend the time that you wanted with them? I'm not, I don't want, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me, that's, that's a question that raises up my mind. Actually, it in, in my case and in our case, it was not that I couldn't spend time with him. That was yeah. not the situation. Good. I simply saw the sadness in him and the conflict yeah. of his wanting to get back to painting. And in several periods in his life, he did do that. He went to Italy at a point specifically to get back to his painting. And a large body of the work that's in the book is from that period. And a later point, he went to Paris to paint again exclusively and not do other work to get back to his painting. Um, yeah. So I, I saw the beauty in the work. I was fascinated in it, and I just knew he was always working. But I, he, he did spend a lot of time with me, so I did not feel cheated on. <laughs> it means I can't see him kind of thing. Right. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. And so obviously yeah. you yourself, um, I mean, you were a dancer and choreographer, uh, correct? I mean, is that, were you, were you given that, uh, that desire to create from him? Well, in a way, uh, I was three and a half and there was a big party at our big studio on 11th Street in New York. And um, I was awakened to see some Chinese dancers I was sitting on a little balcony and looking down, and the next morning, that was it. I copied them. I wanted to dance. Yeah. So he gave me that gift of his encouragement, and both my parents gave me the gift of encouraging me to do that. And it's interesting. My work and my sister's work, who is a wonderful uh, documentary film editor, Toby, yeah. um, were all on the same kind of humanitarian line in what we do and what we what we express. She's a brilliant storyteller of very rich stories. And my work is definitely not on the abstract, but more on the human feeling point of view. Right. And certainly the work ethic of a shimin is to just keep working. So we're all, we all do that. Yeah. Um, so I think we got, certainly that might be inherited or from what we observed, I'm not sure, but one doesn't give up. One just keeps going. Absolutely. I love that. Um, <laughs> you, well, I know when we spoke before and again, in the same regard as art, I know very little about dancing, but you had mentioned humanistic and I, I would love to talk more about that and to, to give again, myself and the audience a primer on what humanistic, uh, dancing entails and what your journey to becoming a dancer as well as, uh, an instructor, uh, was like. Yeah. Um, well, my journey was a, a slow one of studying ballet and seeing um, performances that my parents took me to. And uh, I wanted to be a ballet dancer. I went to the Royal Ballet School in London for four years and came back and realized I should be a modern dancer. It was much more what I could express. I had difficult feet. And um, I, in fact, did become a modern dancer. And I worked with the Martha Graham Company in one major work of hers, Primitive Mysteries, which was incredibly exciting. And I found that the choreographers that I was working with were all on this trend of being humanistic and expressing something of the human soul. Yeah. Um, when I did abstract dances, there were a few. I had to find some inner motivation of what, how to get at it because it just wasn't me. Um, and I did. I, I found you know, pure energy, energetic ways of working with it that made it exciting. Um, 
So I also related to these dances and they moved me. Yes. And that's why I stayed in that realm as well. And are you, are you still dancing? You said you're, you're still instructing, correct? Well, no. I retired about 13, 14 years ago. I'm now almost 79. Okay. And I dance in the water. I don't dance in a studio anymore or on stage. I did something when I was 70, a special performance that was fun. But um, I'm much better off just doing it in the water now, which I love, and then watching and sharing it with other people. Or occasionally one of my dances will be shown and I will work on that. That's amazing. I, 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 what is, so what does dancing, I mean, dancing in the water, I mean, is that dancing in a couple inches of water or are you dancing in, in a pool? I, I don't know well, much about water uh, dancing. I, I'm not, yeah, I just called it dancing in the water. It's the only way I can move more fully. Okay. As in, in the water. So I do dance movements in the gotcha. water. Many people do what's considered a ballet bar in the water. Uh, okay. I don't do that at all. I do all kinds of motion. Yeah, three-dimensional spiral movement, leaping, jumping, um, in dancerly shapes, <laughs> which which get you going. Um, that are that are interesting with some swimming, um, and so I I think it's just a mode of movement that I'm that I found that works for me in the water, and it's the one time I can get the closest to feeling like a dancer. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And I love it. It's in terms of happiness and your program being about finding something fulfilling. That that really is one of the major things for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in relation to the book, what has the reception been like? Um, and when was it published? It was published November 1st, my father's birthday date on 2019. Uh, We had a wonderful book signing in one of the stores here in Santa Barbara, and then COVID hit. Yeah. So it's been incredibly difficult to get it out. Um, I have received, the book has received seven awards. That's amazing. Which is quite wonderful, and it means it is being appreciated. It doesn't, however, um, equal sales. Right. So (laughs) I'm very (laughs) eager to move it along out into the world in other ways and have other people share it and see it and to have it in libraries you see art collections i think every art collector it's been said should have one absolutely Um, and you know i'd like to get it into all the art school libraries in the country yeah Um, uh, yeah i mean he's again the the artwork is just absolutely beautiful and so i mean when it comes to are, are you spending time i mean now that the world is getting hopefully a little bit back, a little bit more back to normal. I mean, are you spending time visiting galleries and schools to, to show off your father's work? I mean, it still sounds like there's I'm very much. I'm absolutely at home. No, are you? Okay. nothing, nothing at all. Uh, and, and there has not been any openings for that yet yeah. that I've found. Certainly not that I would push for. Um, yeah. Everyone's on hold waiting. The Smithsonian Museum of American Art is going to get the book, but they're on hold. They're yeah. not buying anything now yet. Yeah. So it's been very difficult for that. Um, and I'm doing PR and moving the book along. It's not my favorite thing to be doing. Right. I'd much rather just do something creative and help it along. But um, meeting all of you online and on these podcasts is quite wonderful because I'm meeting such wonderful people. Absolutely. In a different way. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing in terms of uh, putting good messages out there to everybody. 
Well, it's been it's been so important to me and encouraging to show that there are ways to uplift and inspire people while having thoughtful and, and nuanced conversations, because that's just something that is seems to be so difficult nowadays, which is just silly. And so when you can have, I mean, when I can have a guest like yourself join me and we can actually talk about something that I know very little about, that just allows mm. me to learn and grow and through that, the mm. audience as well. So, I mean, mm. it's been it's been powerful for my personal journey, but it's also hopefully powerful for, for others too, because it challenges us to just expand our worldview and, our, our pre, and challenge our preconceived notions. Exactly. And I think that's so important to find a way of hearing and understanding many different points of view about all kinds of things. It can only be enriching. And I just um, came across something. One of the companies I was with was the company of Jose Limon. Um, uh, Originally from Mexico, this man came to America and became one of the leading choreographers. and most spiritual, incredible choreographers in the world. Yeah. Um, I was in his company after he died, but I did find this quote from him. And it addresses one of your questions about yes. the motivation. Um, and here it is. The contemporary artist can do no less than to dedicate the power of his spirit and the flame of his art to bring light to the dark places. I love that. And I love that too. It's yeah. so beautiful and rich. And it's so, his work was my father loved him. My father actually painted him because this man posed for artists at a certain point when he was a young, yeah. he wanted to be a painter. My father wanted to be a musician. <laughs> Here you have this overlap. <laughs> my father became a painter and Jose became a great, great choreographer and dancer. Yeah. So, but painting is in the dances and music is in the paintings. Yes. If you yes. look at them, you can find rhythm, you can find cadence, you can find structure. It's, you know, it's these worlds overlap. And it's so fascinating. If you love music of any style, yeah, it moves, dance moves. So there are these constant connections. And of course, music and dance go together. Yeah. Of any form that everybody likes, of some form of it here and there, right? So yes. um, it's all relatable. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, And it all stems from a form of inspiration. You talk about your father being pulled back to his work. And I don't know, I... I I guess I'll have to speak from personal experience. You know, when when you have a desire to be creative, but you have trouble finding inspiration, I I mean, as as an acclaimed, I don't know if I should even say acclaimed, but I guess an accomplished or even a professional artist, you you know to a certain extent on how to overcome that writer's block or that lack of inspiration. Mm. But when you when mm. you know that you want to create, but you don't know where to start, finding that inspiration can be exceptionally difficult. And so, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. as a, as as a, someone who was raised by an artist and who became a, a dancer and an artist her and a, a creative artist herself, I mean, what piece of advice would you offer people who want to create but they don't they don't know where or how to start? Mm, that's a that's a great question. Um, from my experience with my father, he said when he went to Italy for the first time, he had no idea what was going to come out because he hadn't painted in 15 years. Yeah. And it was a struggle. And the same thing happened in Paris. It was a struggle to get started. Um, and it, it, 
It's such an interesting phenomenon. Martha Graham said one is in a divine state of, of unrest continuously. Yeah. Yes. So if one accepts the fact that it's not going to be smooth sailing and there are going to be spaces where nothing seems to be happening um, and accept that that's part of the process uh, and somehow fall in love with the process enough to get through it, then when it starts opening up and something starts to happen, to just really try to follow it through yeah. and continue um, no matter what. Um, I, I read in one of Jose's writings that it took him hours to settle in um, eight measures of music yeah. for the choreography for a very short section. And it took him hours. And I had that same experience once where it took me maybe eight hours to find one minute yeah. of movement that felt right. Yeah. Um, and so that was a moment when I was struggling. I knew what I wanted to find in, in a in a sensibility, but I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, and I think whether you're painting, drawing, photographing, singing, making music, um, start with something small. There's yeah. a fabulous little advertisement I've seen of a guy who's trying to play a, a, something, create something on the piano, and he's completely stuck. And he looks out the window, and there are all these birds on the tree chirping away. And so he listens and he hears their rhythms and he goes, ah, that's it. <laughs> and he created something from that. Yeah. So you can take um, an inspiration from so many things and all of yes. a sudden it means something. Yes. And, and you turn it into something else. I, you know, I think the underlying message of what you're saying there is, you know, st sticking with it. I mean, sitting for eight hours trying to find a sequence or the right sentence or uh, just something to that, 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 that strikes that chord with you. I mean, that, that's a long time to be working on one small part, but when it, when it comes together, I mean, there's just, there's, there's nothing like that. And it helps inspire the subsequent pieces of your work. Right. Right. And then there's nothing like it. Then you go, ah, right. at last, <laughs> something's there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Nothing was there, but you're, you're carving space all of a sudden, you know, and yeah. something happens, which is very special. Yeah. And then other times it just flows, you know, it, it just comes out. It just, some people are just very fluid with how they create. Yeah. yeah. And, and some people have to struggle to get that fluidity. You never know. Um, yeah, and an important lesson that I've learned, and I, sorry for putting this bluntly, is that you have to be willing to suck in order to find greatness. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a quote that I had heard, but I mean, at least for me, that is very true. And I, I've been thinking about, I would like to write a book about what I've learned uh, through these conversations. And it is something that I, I've started to think about. And it, there is certainly that apprehension, that, that analysis paralysis of finding where to start. And until I'm willing to fail, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to succeed. So I just need to sit down and, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. start typing. And, and hopefully, I mean, through work and through inspiration, it, it will come together. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's a great idea, and I wish you luck on it. Well, thank you. I'm sure you can pull together something quite wonderful if you just give it the time. Yeah, I, I take, hope so. Yeah, just see how there's so many ways of getting started, you know, yeah. just taking notes and then looking at your notes and seeing how they all fit, you know, yeah. a thousand ways of starting. Yes. Um, so 
going back to your father, um, he, he was. You said he was born in Russia. Um, I, I would like to talk more about his childhood because I, I, I have, I do have a, 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 well, I have a connection with Russia, and I, I don't make, mean to make that sound political. <laughs> my my little brother, uh, he was adopted from Russia in two thousand one. Oh, so interesting. Uh, yeah. So my yeah. my parents had gone there right after 9-11 to, to, to get him. It was a long process, but uh, that's, wow. that's when he came to the States. And so I, I know, I know at least life 20 years ago for orphans was not good uh, in, in, in Russia. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm curious what his child li- childhood was like growing up there prior to him coming mm-hmm. to the United States. Yeah, it was drastically different than life in the United States when yeah. the family came. His family were probably middle class. His father had an antique store and bought out estates yeah. and sold things. And actually, when there were political problems and people were trying to protect their sons from getting into the army, he would sell them or give them objects that they could sell for money to use for bribes to try to help them their situations. This was a big secret. Right. Um, but they lived in a big uh, apartment building with many people. They, they were a large family. His grandmother lived with them. There were also some, a family who took care of things, and they all lived together. Yeah. But it sounds as if it was rather romantic. <laughs> they went on <laughs> on sleigh rides. They 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 also saw horrible things. They saw prisoners being dragged with chains, yeah. you yeah. know, on the streets. Um, but it sounds as if it was a full life. And he went to a Jewish school, which he couldn't stand because they didn't treat him well. Right. And unfortunately, and uh, embarrassed him because he had a sense of humor. And, you know, he, 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 he was mischievous. Yeah. Um, so when they came to America, um, the boat ride was very difficult. And the, the, one of the family members, the baby sister, caught pneumonia and died two months yeah. later. And his father couldn't find the kind of work he was used to doing yeah. uh, at all and ended up opening a delicatessen. And my father worked there as a child. So in a sense, he was a child laborer. He was working on weekends and in the summers and many, many long hours delivering. Yeah. Um, and he and the people were very poor. They were in tenement living, you know, um, in those days. The uh, immigrants lived in tenement houses often, more often than not. And um, so he saw a lot of poverty. And um, it it was a huge contrast for the family. Uh, His his father never got over it. Um, And he, he, of the brothers, he has two brothers, found his own way, as as you, you already have heard about music and art. And he somehow discovered in New York on his own museums, libraries, concerts, dance, literature, and he went his own way. He moved out at 15, which was unheard of, to apprentice with a commercial artist. And yet he always went back and took care of his family. Um, And the other members of the family were not inclined to be artists at all, yeah. uh, although his uncle did import from Italy objects of art later in life. So uh, he, he was then embedded in the, in the uh, cultural life of New York, which was great yeah. as a young artist. And he met all the great artists. He went to Spain, uh, to Mexico and met the great muralists and had many wonderful influences and friends. That's incredible. I, I, so, uh, yeah. yeah. 
He、あ、found that, but his other brothers didn't do anything like that. He somehow alone. He, he if he had only known that there was a free music school down the street. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it turned out well for the art world. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's was his decision, and I, I say decision loosely to. Lean toward art in the sense of painting and drawing versus music. Was that something that he just he he felt drawn to? There was a story in your book that I, that made me chuckle. He he, I think he created his own instrument, like a mix between a violin、right. and a guitar, yeah, which I、exactly. thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, he did that as a child in Russia. Yeah, no, he was heartbroken. He was determined to be a musician, and he had music in his life. Throughout his life, he played music constantly when he worked. Yeah. So、um, what what was it that that I mean what how how or why did he decide to leave music or why was he forced to leave music or what what made him no, go with the art? The story goes that he he went when they got to America and he was thirteen. He decided the time had come to announce that he wanted to be a musician for sure. He was he had this uncle who is a musician, yeah, who was a very discouraged composer and musician who never felt successful. And the uncle never offered to teach him. Yeah. And when he proposed this to his family and uncle on the steps outside their little delicatessen, and he was told, "No, absolutely no. There's no way." Part partly because I'm sure the uncle didn't want another failure in the family. Right. Maybe he wasn't a failure in Russia. They、right. had musicians in their household all the time. He heard music. So my father, as as I mentioned, started to draw two weeks later, and that just took over. Yeah, he never talked about it very much, so I can't give you more light on the situation. Right, than that he accepted one thing for the other, and once the other started, it pulled him so much that that was it. <laughs> And he he never never looked back. I mean, even through the end of his life, I mean, it, it was just it was painting and, and drawing all the way through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.、Wow. He never he never got an instrument and tried to play. He he just stayed with art. Yeah.、Uh, the end of his life was very sad.、Uh, he was very ill with cancer, and he was about to do a large painting on liberation of all things. Yeah. <laughs> This continuous need for liberation in the world that goes on for centuries and centuries and centuries, yeah. And when will we ever learn? And he was unable to do it, and so that was very sad for him, yeah, because he knew he wouldn't make it. He um he also I did, did he have a cover of Vanity Fair? Did I see that? Yeah, in nineteen twenty nine. And he he did a figure of a dancer, yeah. That amazingly enough looked similar to the way my mother moved, who was a dancer when she was eighteen for a while, though he hadn't known her yet. It was many years later that he met her. And the amazing thing to me about that painting is it's in perfect, perfect alignment. Yeah, perfect line. And、uh, he got it. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's that's incredible.、Um, so, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just think I love that painting. I bought it online. I, yeah, I it, had only seen it, but you can buy it online. Yeah, it's it's quite and my, a former student of mine bought it and has it in her house. It's so sweet. That's amazing.、Um, so, do you do you think you drew influence from your from your mother who who had danced? 
Uh, maybe. She yeah. helped me at one point. She said, oh, try these movements. These are modern movements. Oh, you're pretty good at it. You know, and I, in high school, I had modern and ballet, but I was still stuck on ballet. Yeah. But she certainly encouraged me. They both encouraged me. Uh, That's good. To do what I wanted to do. That's so important. I mean, that I, I, I came from an encouraging household as well. And I, I, right. I, I, I aside from well, I, I, I've had a number of careers and even through all of that, my parents were very encouraging and now I'm an entrepreneur and I'm so thankful for that. I think a lot of that encouragement played uh, a role in my not having an aversion to risk. And I don't, I don't want to mm. put too fine a point on that because I mean, I, I'm very, I'm, I know I'm not going to spend all my money on a poor investment. That's, that's not what I mean, but I, I, I'm able and willing to put myself out there because I, I, I'm, I've got that confidence knowing that I've always had people cheering me on. And I, I think that's so valuable. It's uh, extraordinary. And not yeah. everyone has that. So no. we are very, very lucky. Yes. And of course, one encourages people to do that. But there are many people who have never had anything like that and yeah. had the opposite. And it's really tragic because it, it can hurt someone so much. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. What, going back, what what role do you think art, and I use art as kind of a, a generalized sense here, um, plays on, I don't want to say on the world as it is, but I know we, we, we've discussed, you know, all of the terrible things that have happened, especially over the last 20 years. But I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes to movements and it comes to, again, this hyperbole, but revolutions. And when it comes to, you know, us taking a stand for what we believe is right. I mean, from your perspective, how much of a role do you feel that art, music, paintings, writing influences us to take a stand for what we believe in? That's a really important question and a very deep one. And I feel that one reason I related to certain dances so much was because it did have a point of view about the world. Yeah, There was one dance I did, which was a beautiful duet by Lester Horton, the choreographer called uh, To Jose Clemente Orozco, based on the artist and his paintings of peasants who were fighting for liberation. And so while I hate, I'm, I'm a pacifist, but there I was in a dress with gun belts fighting for liberation, but it felt yeah. great to put it out there and, and express uh, the feelings of what it is to have to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think um, my, my teacher, Mary Anthony, um, whom I did a documentary on, a video documentary on, um, she has a, a beautiful saying. I think it's a quote from someone else, so I'll read it to you. Yeah. Um, Artists are the editors of the world. Long after the centuries pass, it will be the works of art that will tell people what we were. Yeah. And it's, a, it's such a means of expression. I mean, with George Floyd, the art yes. is flowing all over the place. Yeah. Because yeah. that's people want people to see and understand. Absolutely. And get it. Um, and there's so many forms it takes. And it, as an individual, it can just be an outlet for expression. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about the, the, I mean, the, the 
I'll call it a logo for the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, that that fist is ubiquitous. I mean, you you think about it and you know what it stands for. And right. you think about, uh, you know, I, I say I said the names here without judgment, but you think about Barack Obama and his in his election posters and the Yes We Can movement and and uh, even Trump's posters. I mean, it all the way that these things are designed. They're they are designed to entice people, to inspire people, one way or another. And mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. with so much of we we can we can call it graphic design, but it's still art and it still plays at people's senses and emotions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And music, um, of course, I mean, yes. has played hugely in the world of politics. Yeah. Hitler yeah. evidently loved Beethoven's huge or Wagner because they were so powerful. Yeah. And it's so tragic, a use of that music. But uh, there it was. And it's so that's that brings up a very interesting thought in my mind. I mean, I I can think of, I think, one particular example. I, I think it was... Trump who had used Rage Against the Machine or one of uh, a similar band. And I mean, you create art with something very specific with a message in mind. And then when it gets misconstrued and twisted in a way that to convey Mm -hmm. a meaning or a message that you don't like, you don't Mm -hmm. believe in, it doesn't resonate with you. That can be a very, I shouldn't say that from a personal standpoint, but I'm sure it can be a very disturbing feeling. And I mean, aside from a legal, uh, you know, a, a legal battle, I guess uh, the, mm-hmm, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's little you can do. So that's, yeah, that I, I can't imagine what that feels like. Right. Well, I think some of these artists from the past didn't know. Right. <laughs> that it was happening that way. Yeah, no, of um, course. But yeah. today, of course, you know, and yes, it must be horrible. Yeah. Horrible if it's misused. Yeah. Definitely feel completely. Yeah. So I, I guess before we start to wrap up here, I, I do want to ask, I mean, what, uh, what artists move and inspire you authors, writers, uh, painters, uh, choreographers? I mean, what, where, where do you draw your personal inspiration from? I, I think I'd better start with dance since I've said some of yes. them already. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I did work with Martha Graham briefly and wonderfully. And, uh, her works are so 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 much delving into the human psyche, yeah. um, and powerful. And Jose Limon, the human spirit, and the the ongoingness of the human spirit, and that was so beautiful. Um, and there are many other choreographers that I I just love. Um, there's a, there's a wonderful woman Aiko who worked with her husband Koma Aiko and Koma, um, Japanese artists who do exquisitely sensitive, very slow motion pieces that are so, so touching upon various aspects of the human spirit that I'm very taken with it. But I'm leaving out too many people, so I I won't go on because then more will be left out because it's a large. Um, But in terms of of writers, I I first thought of Maya Angelou and... um, uh, because her work is so deep and so rich and um, has such a human resonance to it and such a beautiful writer. But I I do have a longer list than just one. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I I came to one of my favorites, Winnie the Pooh and the Tao of Pooh, which is written by Benjamin Hoff. I've heard wonderful things about that. Oh, it's a fabulous book. And if one lives by that, one is just, you know, it's very simplistic and 
beautiful and yeah. no no mishigas, nothing extra, and it's just a wonderful little mantra to have. Um, and then Isaac Dinesen is a writer I've read off and on for years. Um, her characters are incredible and tell her of stories. And Joseph Campbell's work is amazing um, yeah. on mythology. And there's another um, African writer, Maladoma Somme. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote Of Water and the Spirit, which is an autobiography. Okay. And I love indigenous writings from Africa, Asia, Oceania, Americas. Uh, there's a book I have called Technicians of the Sacred, which some beautiful writings in it. I think you can still get it on Amazon. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, these things have always touched me a lot. And sometimes they will influence the dance. You never yeah. know what, as, as, as I mentioned before, you never know what's going to influence you. So absolutely. Uh, it comes in that way. And yeah. in terms of composers, my gosh. <laughs> it, I, I love so many different styles of music. I love Spanish music. I love classical music. Uh, I like jazz uh, and folk. And yeah, uh, yeah. I love hearing that, and I love—I don't know—you have a very unique worldview, or at least a very expansive one, and I, I, I envy that, and I aim to model that at, at, as I move forward in this life. And so I, I applaud ah. you for that. Ah, um, thank you. Absolutely. What I. What I've always loved about writing specifically, uh, I mean, I'm sure painting as well, but for me, writing, I, I've always loved the the, um, the writers from the early you know, 1900s, the 1920s, and the beat mm -hmm. writers, the, the, you know, Jack Kerouac and that mm -hmm. whole generation. And to me, it's always inspired me that you can have a million people reading the same piece of literature and you're going to have a million different stories and a million different visions in your mind of that exact same piece of prose. And that, that always inspired me. And I, I, I love that because there's, there's just unlimited possibility for inspiration in that. And I'm sure that it can be said the same way for every type of art form, but that's really what I've always loved about mm -hmm, writing mm -hmm. specifically. And it's all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. They receive, everyone receives something differently. The same yes. colors, the same structures, the same memories, the same thoughts. It's wonderful. Absolutely. And as a dancer, I've choreographed pieces and had different performers perform the same dance, um, mostly with solos, but with other yeah. pieces too. And I love the different qualities that are brought to the piece. Yes. Even yeah. though the steps are the same. Yeah. And, and there's a richness in that. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, it, and it allows for different interpretations. It's not it does. stuck. Nothing is stuck. Yeah. Um, and I, I did want to ask you kind of along those lines. Again, I I have not been widely exposed to dance. I, I think I mentioned previously, I took one dance class in college and I don't <laughs> think I did very well, but I, I passed. So that's all that matters. You know, as a dancer yourself, if, if you could recommend one way to expose yourself to, to dance, you know, as, as somebody who knows nothing about it, what would you recommend? Well, of course, I would say look at any dance, okay. number one, and just see what's happening. Yeah. But in terms of companies and modern dance companies, Alvin Ailey is extraordinary for their accessibility yeah. to reaching people and um, putting out extraordinary joy and expression and understanding of the highs and lows of, of human expression. That's great. Um, okay. Revelations is, is one of his, it was his great, great, great early piece that has 
lasted all these years and has to go on every single program because it works so brilliantly and That's it's amazing. universal. So I would say for popular taste who's not experienced another form, that might be a great start. Fantastic. Okay, cool. That That is where I'll start. And when I do, I will let you know. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, this 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 conversation has been wonderful, and I, I I'm so thankful uh, to you for sharing it with me. I'm so thankful that you you sent me the book. It was, again, uh, the the artwork was beautiful, and I, I love I loved reading more about the context of it. And so I I, I will continue going through it because I I want to learn more. So again, I very much appreciate that. Um, but before we wrap up, I, I do have a few closing questions that I would like to ask you, and uh, the first of which is I, I always want to make sure that this is going to be as beneficial for you as it has been the last hour has been for me. So I always like to ask if you could, what resources are you looking for to continue your growth and your personal journey? If somebody's listening and they say, Hey, I can help her. What, what would those resources be? Wow. You asked big, great questions. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and real important ones. Um, I, I'm always curious about yeah. the world and the arts and, politics and many, many different things. I might not be knowledgeable in many areas, but I must I do feel curious. Yes. And I think keeping this open openness and curiosity and questioning and how can we reach people that are different? How can we communicate better? Yeah. Um, so that we can we all are humans of the same basic needs. How can we bridge all of this? Yeah. Um, is important to me. Um, on a personal level, I'm, I mean, I'm very driven right now to get the book out and I yeah. want to be sure to give you the website before we leave Yes, because it is so difficult in this time to do that. And so my, my life work at this point is really to try to take care of my father's art and see yes. whether I can't help it um, be understood more in the world than it has been, because I think it's worth knowing about. Um, and I think there's a lot to offer in it to to young people studying art of, of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that's really important to me. Um, and of course, I look for any dance connections that might come my way, uh, setting a piece I've done before or anything yeah. like that, because it means a lot to me to stay in touch with dance. Yes. But I think also just visualizing a better world. And if we all visualize what we really want and put ourselves out there it will we need a complete change a transformation of ways of thinking to do that and yeah. uh, we all have to do it together yeah yeah i i could not have said that any better um i i appreciate that um and then next uh you had mentioned uh the name previously but if you could pick one book that has just absolutely had a profound life-changing effect on your life, what would that book be and why? Actually, I was going to say Maya Angelou, but yeah. I now think it might be one or two of the poems in the indigenous writings. Okay. One of the poems, one of that's, the very simple ones. Yeah. That's um, so uh, where, where I want to make sure that I'm able to link to those in the show notes. Okay. So, the book is called technicians of the sacred. Yeah. And if you look up that book, I found it. Okay, perfect. And as you said, different people are going to read something and get something different from it. Yes. And there are some beautiful writings in this book. And I think this one really touched me in a way that whatever else I read, this 
these are prayers. These are ways of being. Yeah. These thoughts. These are just beautiful um, poems and writings on life. And, Fantastic. Uh, to carry one of them with one is special. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, I will absolutely link to that in the show notes. And you had also mentioned, and I just because uh, you'd mentioned uh, Maya previously, uh, you had also mentioned I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which I yeah. have not read, but I've obviously oh, heard okay. wonderful things about. I, I highly recommend it. Um, for me, it was just such an insight into a completely different life than what mine was. Yeah. By this amazingly wonderful human being. Yeah. And written so beautifully and from the heart. That's great. And so again, here, here we are recognizing things in different ways, different yes. perspectives, and each life within their life recognizing the other is important. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Well, beautiful. And then last but not least, if you could offer one call to action that you either live your life by or you try to implore others to live their lives by that we can leave the audience, what would that call to action be? Uh, I'm going to have to share two thoughts here. Okay, please. Yes. <laughs> I think um, to follow your dreams, to to, yeah. to really go along with what feels like you uh, and not to be doing something because one feels one should, or it's the right thing to do, or one is told it should be done, or this is what you should do, but to really choose one's direction based yeah. on one's heart. And uh, Joseph Campbell says something like this a lot. Yeah. And my very simple motto is, um, and it's very simplistic, if you do not hurt yourself and you do not hurt anyone else and you do not hurt anything or any place, you can do anything. I love that. That's fantastic. And if you really stick to that, we'd have a safer world. We would. We absolutely would. And uh, yeah. Well, Tonya, I really, really, really appreciate uh, you having this conversation with me. If people would like to connect with you, if they'd like to learn more about you, if they'd like to find the book, what is the best way for people to find you and connect and, and even purchase the book? Well, thank you. Uh, it's very simple. Simply go to simeonshimon.com. And the spelling is S-Y-M-E-O-N-S-H-I-M. I n.com. And all the information is there. And my email is there. People, please feel free to contact me anytime with questions or interest or anything one wants to share. And um, I'm thrilled to be able to uh, share this um, through this conversation with you. Yes. And thank you so very much, Trey. It's been such a treat. It was an absolute pleasure. I, I appreciate it. Again, I will have all of those links in the show notes so people can find you from near and far and they, they can uh, see your work, uh, your father's work. And it, like you said, it is absolutely something that uh, deserves to be seen. So again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Once again, I would like to extend a huge thank you to Tonya for joining me on the podcast. It was such a delight learning about her father's work through Tonya's writing, and I'm so looking forward to continuing enjoying it into the future. If you'd like to learn more about Tonya and her father, Simeon Shimon, please check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com. Tonya listed off a ton of great resources toward the end there, and I made sure to include all of those links in the show notes. 
And of course, thank all of you for taking time out of your days to listen to this podcast. It means the world to me, and I cannot stress that enough. If you would like more podcast content in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. And you can also find the podcast on Facebook by searching for The Mosaic Life Podcast. Thank you all again so incredibly much. And until next week, take care, do better, and be well. Introducing Wondersweep from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.